There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Today marks the fifth anniversary of Christopher Nolan's World War II flick Dunkirk, which opened in U.S. theaters nationwide on July 21st, 2017. I spoke to the film's Oscar-winning editor, Lee Smith, in 2020 about his collaborations with Nolan on The Dark Knight, Inception, Interstellar, and Dunkirk, as well as working with Sam Mendes on the World War I movie 1917. Hey, Lee, hey, thanks so much for taking the time to call us. My pleasure, my pleasure. I want to take it all the way, you know, back to the beginning. You know, you were born in Australia. What movies did you enjoy growing up as a kid? Uh, I think, you know, some of the earlier films, and I remember my parents taking me to uh, cinemas and drive-in cinemas um, and seeing films like Bridge on the River Kwai, um, you know, uh, Dam Busters, all of these. My father had a great passion for war movies, having lived through it. And uh, sort of, you know, any epic of the time um, was just something that I sort of reveled in and that kind of escapism of being, you know, taken to a place and a time, you know, that you weren't involved in, like the Battle of Britain and uh, Lawrence of Arabia, you know, all of those films going through to sort of the space films that I really loved, 2001 and um, films like that just sort of shaped and, and kept me super interested in films. And uh, my father was an optical effects supervisor, um, so I had a another inroad into just being particularly interested, although he was in the commercial world, not the feature film world, but, you know, I kind of just was fascinated with filmmaking and in school joined film clubs and you know did a lot of photography work so that might have uh, led me into this career I guess <clears throat> even though I started very young and I think my main job was uh, making tea and sweeping around the place but that's the way to learn <laughs> you start at the bottom <laughs> Absolutely. That, you mentioned you mentioned uh, Lawrence of Arabia, two thousand one. Um, when you're watching those, are you picking up on those? You know, the famous you know cut from the the bone to the spaceship, or the you know famous you know Lawrence of Arabia blows out the match and the sun comes up. You know, like when do you think sort of a more critical eye, you know, appreciation for those things, and, and you know, looking at the actual edits. I think I think that you know where the sum of you know of everything that's happened before us. I think, you know, writers write from experience of their past. And I think, obviously, some of these films influence the way I think. I don't particularly think about anything like that as I'm editing, but I can, you know, I, I'm imagining that I'm drawing on 
everything that I liked, you know, shocking cuts, as you just mentioned, the ones that, you know, people feel are quite a historical moment. I'm sure they're all sort of embedded deep in my subconscious, but, you know, at the time I'm looking at other people's work and other films and you're doing it for other reasons, uh, but, you know, without doubt, you know, like music, like everything else, I often talk to composers about this, that, you know, they can trace music all the way back to its beginnings. And when you listen carefully to the breakdown of music, it's, you know, it's just continually referencing back to its original historic, the first music that was recorded or written down. Um, and I have a feeling that's got something to do with just storytelling and editing. It's all kind of part of that package of education. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's pretty cool. I think I had a pretty good memory for films too. Um, I do have a very good memory for stuff I've seen, which tires people around me because I can see something 20 years ago and be watching it like I saw it yesterday. And I don't have that memory for everything which is also kind of strange. <laughs> so I could be an idiot savant, I'm not sure. <laughs> but uh, the, um, it's, a, it, it's, just, it's interesting how I think I just get absorbed when I watch a movie and I sit there kind of silent and still and I'm always kind of marvelling how people can look around and get distracted. I kind of just fall into it and I think that's part of the reason why um, that this medium was just so attractive to me. It's just like a, a way to transport yourself to some other reality. Do, I mean, do you have any editing heroes from your, quote, idiot savant <laughs> filmography circling <laughs> in your brain? Do you have any editing heroes? Well, I remember the films, not the people that worked on them. It's, oh. it's again, it's just a different way of viewing them. I, I read heaps of books, but I never remember who wrote them. I can find out quickly enough, but I don't particularly follow sort of, you know, more directors, I guess, than anything else because they're just the most known people. And, of course, I do notice, you know, edit, editors' names that keep popping up on, on films and, you know, famous people throughout throughout time. But, yeah, I mean, to tell you the truth, I, I kind of... Again, I just so immerse myself in the film. It, it's I, I kind of blank out by the time the credits roll. That's a terrible thing to say, but I listen to the music and kind of just sit there thinking about the movie. What below the line means, you're kind of the anonymous... Generally speaking, you're the anonymous participant in the movie. Um, you know, you get a little less anonymous around award season, but um, for the majority of the time, you know, you can be quite happily anonymous. Although I do get the old person walk up to me now <laughs> and say, wow, I follow all your movies. I'm always shocked. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So wait, you started, did I see you started out as a sound designer on the piano and even a little on Truman Show before you switched over to editor? Is that right? Yeah, I, um, I, I kind of concentrated on sound for the first part of my career and then I sort of did a, transitional thing where I was um, working quite a lot with Peter Weir's films as a like a junior editor then I would be the sound supervisor or sound designer on his films and then eventually I became his editor um, and I also you know 
I don't know, I just, you know, loved sound, loved everything about it, and then started doing more and more picture work. Um, but I still utilize all of my sound input and sound skills as I'm cutting, and I'm heavily involved in the mixing and the music and the recording and, and everything else that goes into making a movie. And, you know, a lot of picture editors are very sound savvy, not all of them, but a lot of them are. And to me, it's, you know, 50% of the package because you have a great uh, sound design on a film and it can certainly elevate it, um, you know, beyond what's normal. And sound is, you know, an incredible way to control people's emotions and pace and rhythm. It's amazing what you can do subtly and subliminally. So I, I still love all that stuff. I've never... I've never stepped out of my passion for sound and I have an enormous sound library in my picture editing Avid that I cut on and uh, I draw on that continuously as I'm cutting because it just informs the final product and, and you know I can control the pace and rhythm even if for some reason we can't find an appropriate music track or temp music track while we're editing you know we can still I've got that many strange, odd sounds running backwards and forwards that can create mood and tension. Um, you know, I just still find that a fascinating part of the whole package. Absolutely. Now, in addition, you mentioned Peter Weir, but um, so you work with him quite a bit. But obviously, your your most famous collaborator is the the masterful Christopher Nolan. When you get yep. that when you get that gig on the Dark Knight, you know, when that footage starts to come in for you to edit, I mean, are you sitting there looking at that saying, "Damn, he's gonna win this thing"? Well, actually, had he even passed away while you're editing, or was it before you got the footage? No, we we all you know agreed. I actually edited one of Heath's very first films in Australia called Two Hands. So we got to know one another, you know, reasonably well. And um, I saw him several times during the shoot of The Dark Knight on the set, and it was always, you know, hugely amusing. <laughs> but no, unfortunately, he passed away while we were in post-production. And uh, it was, you know, terribly sad. And we were, I think we were about, 10 or 12 weeks past the end of the shoot and uh but during you know the i mean a of course it's incredibly sad when anyone passes away but he was such a brilliant actor and he brought so much to that role and you know right from the first day of shooting i was just you know completely in awe of how far he'd come from doing a low-budget film in Australia to, you know, standing there with his back to camera holding onto that mask. And I went, he commands the screen and he has his back to camera. And we were sitting in a small trailer on location with Chris Nolan and the cinematographer and, and everybody else. And we're just all sitting there going, oh, man, this, is, this guy's amazing. Just the way he walks, the way he talks. It's, he brought everything to that role, and you know it was a great loss that uh, he's no longer with us. 
Certainly, certainly. Um, and then after The Dark Knight, of course, you collaborate with Nolan again on Inception, which I know is the movie he'd been wanting to do. That was his baby he'd been trying to get all along. Um, what was fun or, or the challenge to be, though? I mean, you're the one cutting all those dreams within the dreams. Like, what's the challenge of something like that where you have, you know, you're, you're drilling down, you know, a dream within a dream and you have to keep the audience remembering where we are in the whole thing. That's an amazing movie. Well, that is the challenge. It's the... You know, Chris does make, you know, very complicated films. And I think my job uh, in the whole process is to try to keep it, you know, as understandable as you can because there's nothing worse than a film where the audience gets lost, you know, to the point of being disappointed. Um, I think the, the secret that we were always trying to do with, Chris's films, you know, Inception and Interstellar for one and also The Prestige is, you know, just being faithful to Chris's original idea and his original script but never getting into a point where you'd be sitting there as an audience member feeling that you've been left out of this equation. So we do do quite a lot of test screening and the trick is that not everyone has to understand every single thing, like including Dunkirk, but you've still got to have total enjoyment. You can't walk out of it at the end saying, I just didn't get that movie. And, you know, those movies are very finely tuned, so, you know, we don't get that response, um, which would be terrible. I mean, a whole, the whole point of these films is to entertain and to excite people and, there's not much point if no one understands what they're watching. And, you know, they really are very complicated films. And some people get them to great minute detail. Other people misunderstand them completely, but they still love them. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you for being the one to help, you know, because they are complex, awesome ideas. But you're the one, you know, stringing it together for us, the audience. So we appreciate that. But you, you mentioned Dunkirk. I mean, yes, yeah, a similar thing. You're intercutting three timelines what is it like a week on land a day at sea an hour in the sky i mean that's some deep deep stuff there that you have to juggle yeah the uh the the struggle with that one was again just making sure that those intersecting timelines you could follow and we did do a lot of uh jigging around with the aerial stuff because we <clears throat> in the end when you laid it all out there wasn't that much in the air because of the faster timeline and we had to move that around and add and subtract where it came in just simply so the audience, when you come back to it, they weren't completely perplexed with what was happening last time. So, you know, there was an enormous amount of cross-cutting and figuring out that went into that film. And again, you know, with us and audiences and, and friends and family screenings, you know, you finally drill down on to where, you know, everybody's happy. And, uh, you know, it was a great result in the end. Yeah, you won the Oscar. Hey, just in closing, the 1917, uh, which, which just won a, uh, you know, a bunch of Oscars and the Golden Globe and all that great stuff, we spoke with Sam Mendes uh, back in December, which was great. But from your perspective, uh, you know, what's it like trying to create that illusion of a single take? Because I guess it's pre-planned out. I guess you, you know where those breaks in the action are going to be, but how many uh, little masks are we stitching together on that? Well, Sam and I agreed that we'd never divulge how many cuts there actually are in the film. 
Um, a lot of those cuts were pre-planned, but they're organically planned. They're, nobody knows exactly. We didn't know 100% that this was going to work. It's not shot computer controlled. It's not shot, you know, utilizing animation. It's shot just in a conventional sense. So some of those joins, you know, were very hair-raising. Uh, but there's also quite a lot of other cuts in the film that weren't scheduled, weren't attempted, because the one thing I said to Sam is if there's any way that I can utilize sections from other takes as I would normally do to improve anything, you know, are you okay with that? And, and he was like, yeah, I mean, we just want the best movie. So that's what we did. So, you know, there's... Um, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of monkey business in that movie. That's all I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, you've been really generous with your time. Uh, we appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Okay. No problem. Great to talk to you. Thanks so much for listening to Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Our theme music is Scott Buckley's Clarion. Remember to give us a five star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time. wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.